ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله ذلك the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whomever Allah guides there's no one that can lead him astray and whomever Allah leads astray there's no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger This evening bismillah we would like to begin our eighth lecture in this series of lectures explaining the essay or treatise of al-imam ahmed ibn hanbal rahimahullah entitled usul as-sunnah foundations of the sunnah in the previous lecture we discussed some points concerning the fact or the question of whether or not the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam did see allah on the occasion of the miraj or the ascension to the seven heavens and we concluded from the evidences of quran and sunnah and the statements of sahaba that even though there is an apparent difference some of those who affirmed and some who denied we were able to understand <coughs> that those who affirmed his seeing allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they meant by it that he saw allah in a vision in his sleep in a true dream and those who denied it were not denying that he saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a true dream or a true vision in his sleeping state or they were denying that he saw Allah with his eyes also we discussed al-mizan or the weighing of deeds on the day of judgment and that everyone will be will have their deeds weighed good and bad before the final judgment is made on them as to where their place would be in the paradise or the hellfire we also mentioned the fact that allah would speak to the people on the day of judgment directly without there being anyone in between them nor any need for a translator and we said also that it is from the islamic beliefs or creed or aqida to have iman in al-haud the pond or the pool of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam on the day of judgment from which his followers would drink and quench their thirst this evening inshallah we would like to mention or we would like to continue in the essay of imam ahmed usul sunnah and discuss some other matters related to those things that would happen before the resurrection as well as some things that would happen as signs of the coming of the resurrection so let us begin with the statement of imam ahmed he says 
والإيمان بعذاب القبر وأن هذه الأمة تفتن في قبورها وتسأل عن الإيمان والإسلام ومن ربه ومن نبيه ويأتيه منكر ونكير كيف شاء الله عز وجل وكيف أراد والإيمان به والتصديق به that also of those important and necessary things of the Islamic faith or creed is that we have faith in the punishment of the grave, Azab al-Qabr, and that this Ummah, the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, will be put to test or trial in their graves, tuftanu fi kuburiha. They would be tested and will be questioned about iman, faith, and Islam submission, they would be asked, who is your Lord, man rabbuhu, who is his Lord, and who is his Prophet, etc. And that munkar and nakir, that is two angels whom Allah would send to every person at the time, uh, when they are buried or after their death, will come to each person. And all of that will happen in whatever way Allah wills, and in whatever way He desires to have faith in that and to attest to its truthfulness. <clears throat> it is reported in authentic hadith on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha. She said that two elderly Jewish women from amongst the elderly Jews of Medina visited me and said, indeed the people of the grave are punished in their graves. Aisha said, but I considered them to be lying, as I was not happy to believe them. They then left and the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallama entered my house. I said to him, O Messenger of Allah, indeed two elderly Jewish women visited me, and they claimed that the people of the grave are punished in their graves. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said they were correct. Indeed, they, that is the people in the graves, are punished. And the animals can hear when they are being punished. She, Aisha radiallahu anha, may Allah be pleased with her, said, I never saw him, that is the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, after that incident in his prayers, except that he sought refuge in Allah from the punishment of the grave. This matter is so serious and it is something that is not, it hadn't been only revealed or made known to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but even the prophets before him knew and the Jewish people had been informed by their prophets of this fact that no one can know for certainty until after they die and are in the grave unless we are informed by revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he was asked about this from Aisha radiallahu anha, it brought to his consciousness this fact to such an extent that she, Aisha radiallahu anha, said, فَمَا رَأَيْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam يُصَلِّ صَلَاةً بَعَدْ إِلَّا تَعُوَّذَ مِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرَ that I never saw the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam after that time, did he ever perform prayer except that he used to seek refuge 
from that punishment which is surely to take place in the grave. Al-Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah said indeed the punishment of the grave is a true fact. The questioning of those in the graves is a true fact. Both this punishment and the fact that the people in the grave will be punished is true. Al-Imam Sufyan ibn Uyayna, who was one of the great scholars of Mecca, he said, the sunnah is ten. The sunnah consists of ten main things. Whoever accepts them has completed the sunnah, and whoever abandons anything from them has abandoned the sunnah. And amongst them he mentioned Azab al-Qabr, the punishment in the grave. Al-Imam al-Tahawi, one of the great Hanafi scholars, he said in his book, Al-Aqidah al-Tahawiyya, we have Iman or faith in the angel of death who is charged with taking the souls of all the worlds or all of the people in the world. And we also have Iman in the fact of the punishment of the grave for those who deserve it. So that means that perhaps there are those people whom Allah may uh, relieve from this punishment as the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in some of the authentic hadith. The early generations of the scholars are agreed unanimously upon this fact that the questioning and the punishment in the grave is a true fact and a certain reality. And amongst those scholars who wrote in their books this statement or mentioned it or affirmed it, there are many and from them Imam Abu Dawood Ibn Qutayba, Abu al-Hasan al-Ashari, Ibn Abi Hatim, Al-Imam al-Barbahari, Al-Bayhaqi, Al-Nawi, Al-Qurtubi, and so many others. In fact, Al-Imam Al-Bayhaqi has a comprehensive book regarding the affirmation of the punishment of the grave in which he collected all of the hadith affirming the punishment of the grave and whatever is related to it. And so also, there is such a book by Imam Ibn Rajab Al-Hanbali, who was one of the great Hanbali scholars, and Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi, the great scholar of Tafsir in his book, Al-Tafsirah, which discussed the things related to death and the punishment in the grave and the next life. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in an authentic hadith that's reported in the Mu'ajam Al-Kabir of Imam Al-Tabari, he said, Istajiru billahi min azab al-qabri. فَإِنَّ عَذَابَ الْقَبْرِ حَقٌ He ordered us, the Prophet ﷺ ordered us to seek refuge. استجيرو, and in another narration, استعيذو, seek refuge in Allah from the punishment of the grave. For verily, certainly, the punishment of the grave is حَقٌ It is true, it is real. In another report, collected by Al-Bukhari and Muslim, it is reported that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa in a hadith reported by Aisha radiallahu anha, he said, إِنَّهُ أُوحِيَ إِلَيَّ أَنَّكُمْ تُفْتَنُونَ فِي الْقُبُورِ It has been revealed to me. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, it has been revealed to me that you all, that is the people in general, that you will be tested or tried in the graves. And that test is the questioning of the angels Munkar and Nakir. This information came to him by revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It wasn't something of his own ishtihad or his opinion or something that he imagined. But he said, إِنَّهُ أُوحِيَ إِلَيَّ Verily, definitely, certainly, it has been revealed to me. 
in another authentic hadith reported in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi and that hadith is Hassan it is a good hadith it is reported that the Prophet informed us about these two angels and what, the, what would be their uh, uh, and, and some description about them he said إِذَا قُبِرَ الْمَيِّتُ أَتَاهُ مَلَكَانْ أَسْوَدَانْ أَزْرَقَانْ يُقَالُ لِأَحَدِهِمَا الْمُنْكَرُ in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ informed us of this fact that when anyone is buried, when any dead person is buried, there will come to them two angels, black and blue, Aswadan, Azraqan. One of them is called Al-Munkar and the other is called Al-Nafir. That hadith is a long hadith. He went on to say, a part of it, he said, uh, it will be said to that person who was buried, what did you used to say about this man? What did you used to say about this man? Meaning the Prophet of Allah, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That person would say, ma kana yaqulu huwa. I used to say that which he used to say. Abdullahi wa Rasuluhu. He is the servant or slave of Allah and his messenger. And then that man in the grave, after being questioned like this, he would say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wa anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu. I bear witness that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped except Allah, and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu is his servant and his messenger. Then those two angels would say to him, Qad kunna na'lam annaka taqulu hadha. We definitely knew that you would say like this because that was the answer of the believer as for the answer of the disbeliever then he would say I used to say whatever the people used to say I said like them but I didn't know and they would say the same to him we definitely knew that you would say like this that is the believer would be able to answer those questions in the grave but the disbeliever would not be capable of answering even if he when he was in this world knew such things and he used to say them but if he didn't believe in them then when he is questioned in the grave he would not be capable to answer as Sheikh Abdullah ibn Jibreen Hafizahullah he said in his explanation of this essay of Imam Ahmed about this particular point of the punishment of the grave and the questioning of the two angels he said that this also is of those matters that's related to Al-Iman Bil-Yawm Al-Akhir of the matters that's related to faith in the last day or the day of judgment or the day of resurrection everything that's after the death after someone dies it is considered of the matters of the last day from the time that his spirit comes out of his body and it is said that when someone dies then his resurrection or his day of resurrection has begun this means the minor resurrection when someone dies then they will be approached by the angels and made to sit up and they would be questioned. So this is a sort of yeah, a judgment for them. The first judgment or the minor resurrection which takes place in the grave. Then he said of those things that would take place after the death is related to the faith in the punishment of the grave and also the blessing or the na'im, na'imuhu, the good favor or blessing that the person will experience in the grave, either punishment or the favor of Allah. We believe in these things as they are narrated in the authentic hadith, 
And as they have been explained by our scholars, they found proofs for it in the Qur'an, in some of the ayats of the Qur'an, and also in the Sunnah. We believe that two angels would come to him, and that they, they have been named in some of the authentic hadith, Munkar and Nakir, and that they would ask the person three questions. Man rabbuka, wa man nabiyuka, wa ma deenuka. Who is your Lord? Who is your Prophet? And what is your deen, your religion? These three questions are very important that the person should know and should understand and should have complete faith in and they should live their life according to such. According to their belief or their saying that their Lord is Allah and that their Prophet is Muhammad and that their religion is Islam. It's not enough just to say this but also we must understand what it entails, what does it mean, so that we may practice it and be able to answer those questions when the angels come to us after our death in the grave. If the person is a believer, when these questions are asked for him, or asked of him, then he would be able to answer and his grave would be widened. And if he was a disbeliever, he would not be able to answer and his grave would be closed in on him until his bones would be crushed. So that for the believers, their grave would be like a garden from the gardens of paradise. And for the disbelievers, the opposite, it would be like a hole of fire. And also the Shaykh Abdullah ibn Jibreen, he said to us in this explanation that these matters are in general for everyone who dies, whether they are buried in the earth or not. Even the person who is not buried. The person, for example, who was eaten up by a, a wild animal, a lion or tiger or such, or the person who was burned up, cremated, the person whose ashes were thrown into the wind, the person who was, and he died on the earth or at sea, in any case, Allah is capable of causing the punishment or the joy to reach that person, whoever is deserving of it. Allah is capable to cause these things to happen to him, whether he's buried in the earth or otherwise. Also, he said that the rules and the matters and the things related to the life after death or the condition or the state of the people after death, these are the things that are classified under the title of Al-Barzakh. Yani Al-Barzakh is that state that the human being would be in between the time of his living in this world and the time of his resurrection into the next life. These things are related to the condition of the human being in the state of Al-Barzakh or the souls of the human being after those souls have separated from their bodies. Nonetheless, many of the scholars of the Ahl Sunnah Al-Jama'ah <coughs> even said that the punishment or the blessing or the joy that would come to the person according to what he deserved from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, would even sometimes reach his body, as Allah wills. And finally he said, that belief in such thing, that the, question, the questioning of the grave and the punishment in the grave, whoever has iman or true faith in such things, it should be a motivating force to cause him to prepare himself for such things and to do the deeds that would be the cause or the reason for him to be successful and to be saved from this terrible situation.
there's much more to be said about this particular topic, the punishment of the grave and the questioning in the grave. But I think we will have to skip uh, in order to go on. In any case, on this topic, we may refer to the books of Hadith, to Sahih al-Bukhari in volume 2 from 254 on, and Sahih Muslim volume 1, page 171 and 172, for some Hadith concerning the punishment in the grave, and as for the questioning in the grave, we may find in the Sahih of Muslim, volume 2, page 45 onwards, or page, excuse me, 4, 5, 6, 456 and 457, and in other books we may find hadith related to these matters. Al-Imam Ahmed goes on to say that of those matters that we must believe in is Al-Imanu Bishafa'ati and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallama وَبِقَوْمٍ يُخْرَجُونَ مِنَ النَّارِ بَعْدَمَا اِحْتَرَقُوا وَصَارُوا فَحْمًا فَيُعْمَرُوا بِهِمْ إِلَى نَهْرٍ عَلَى بَابِ الْجَنَّةِ كَمَا جَعَى فِي الْأَثَرِ كَيْفَ شَاءَ اللَّهِ وَكَمَا شَاءَ إِنَّمَا هُوَ الْإِيمَانُ بِهِ وَالتَّصْدِيقُ بِهِ Also of those matters that we are obligated to have faith in is the intercession the intercession of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on the day of resurrection that he would intercede for some people to take them out of the fire after they had been burned in it and had become like charcoal burnt and reduced to charcoal then it will be ordered for them to be placed in a river by the door of paradise as has been reported in the narrations of hadith and all of this will happen however Allah wills and whatever way Allah wills indeed it is necessary to have faith in it and to attest to its truthfulness. In this matter, it is reported specifically about those who, of the believers who would be taken out of the fire after being punished for some time. It is reported in the Sahih of Al-Bukhari and the Sahih of Muslim on the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, radiallahu anhu, may Allah be pleased with him, he said, that the Prophet wasallam said, when the people of paradise have entered the fire, yeah, any of the believers, those who believed in the oneness of Allah, but who committed some major sins for which they would be punished, when they entered the fire, Allah will say, take out of the fire whoever has got that which is equal to a mustard seed of faith in his heart. Take them out of the fire. They will come out, and by that time, they would have been burnt and become like coals. And then they will be thrown into the river of Al-Hayat, the river of life, and they will spring up just as seeds, just as a seed grows on the bank of a rain water stream. The scholars discuss this point of Ash-Shafa'ah in detail in many of their books. We would like to just mention here that Ash-Shafa'ah is one of the great favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the believers that the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, would be given permission by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to intercede for those who need help. They need someone to stand up for them, to help them, or to uh, ask Allah for mercy for them. And the types of intercession that would be granted to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are many, as well there are other types which will be granted to others of the Prophet's and the martyrs, and the righteous, and those who uh, Allah 
will allow. Of those types of intercession, the Imam Al-Tahawi in his book Al-Aqid Al-Tahawiyya, he mentions eight of them. He said the first of them is the great intercession which will take place amongst all of the people on the day of resurrection including the prophets and messengers and this will be specifically for our prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and it is the coming of Allah so that the judgment may begin that is when the people on the day of resurrection would be terrified and frightened and their waiting would be prolonged for a long time they would ask the prophets one by one first going to Adam alayhi salam as reported in a very long hadith and asking him to intercede and he would say, go to Nuh or Noah alayhi salam, who would say to them, go on to Ibrahim alayhi salam, peace be upon him, who would say to them, go to Musa, Moses alayhi salam, who would say, go to Isa, Jesus alayhi salam, and none of them would be able or willing to attempt to intercede, to ask Allah for the judgment to begin, until finally the people went to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he was granted permission by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to intercede that Allah would come forth and begin the judgment. This is the great intercession in which Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Messenger of Allah, would intercede for all of humanity from the first man until the last, from the beginning of time until the day of resurrection. The second type of intercession for the people would be for those people whose good and bad deeds are equal. And those people, when their deeds were weighed, it was found that their good deeds were equal to their bad deeds. So Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the messenger of Allah, by permission from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will intercede for them to ask Allah permission for them to enter the paradise. The third type of intercession that he would be given sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is for another group of people for whom the fire had been ordered. Yani their deeds justify that they should be thrown in the fire. So he will intercede that they do not enter it and Allah would accept his intercession and those people, though they were deserving to be punished for some time in the fire, because they were believers, the Prophet ﷺ interceded for them. And for, those, for that group of people, Allah would accept that intercession and they would not enter the fire at all. The fourth intercession of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ would be to raise the ranks, the darajat of those who have entered paradise. After they entered paradise, he would intercede that some of them would be placed in a higher place that their rank be raised to a greater one than that, than what the reward for their actions would have given them. Yani more than what they justify to a higher place. And the fifth intercession would be for the people to be entered into paradise without reckoning. Yani a certain group of people, the Prophet ﷺ would intercede for them, that those people would enter paradise without reckoning, without their deeds being weighed or their scale being presented, but this special intercession would be such that those people would go directly into the paradise. The sixth of those intercessions is for the reduction or the lightening or reducing of the punishment for those who deserve it, such as his intercession uh, for those who were deserving of a greater punishment, then he would intercede and Allah would give them, would give them a lesser punishment and also included and in this intercession is the intercession of the Prophet ﷺ, the special intercession for his uncle Abu Talib, that his punishment may be lightened, as recorded in the authentic hadith, that he would be the least of those punished in the hellfire, 
he would just be wearing something like shoes of fire, which would be so hot that his, it would burn his brains from it. And also, the seventh type of intercession of the Prophet ﷺ is that uh, permission be granted for all the believers to enter paradise. Yani after the judgment has taken place and the deeds have been weighed, then the Prophet ﷺ would intercede with Allah that those people who were granted paradise, that they actually be allowed to enter. And the last that he mentions of the types of intercession that would be granted to the Prophet ﷺ, and this intercession is not exclusively for Muhammad ﷺ, but it, it would also be a type of intercession that other Prophets would share in. They would also intercede for people, and so would those who die fighting in jihad, the marchers, or the shuhada, and so the righteous and the truthful people would also be allowed by permission from Allah, whomever Allah allows and whomever He may be pleased with, to also intercede for some people who committed major sins. Amongst those who entered the fire, they committed major sins and they actually entered the fire. This intercession is that they may be brought out of it. Sheikh Abdullah ibn Jibreen, Hafizahullah, he also comments on this particular point, al-shafa'ah, or the intercession of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the last and final of the messengers of Allah. And he says that this is also of those things that we are required to have iman in, or faith in, concerning the last day, or the judgment day, or the day of resurrection. And it is of those virtues, or those aspects of the superiority, of the Prophet ﷺ, that he has been given, that he would be able to intercede at the time when the people would be gathered for the resurrection. This is something that was given specially to him, most of these types of intercession, where he would intercede for his ummah and he would also intercede for the rest of humanity. And that intercession, of course, for the rest of humanity, he means the great intercession, al-shafa'a, al-uzma, or al-ula, for the coming of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to begin the judgment. Then he mentions the hadith about the people going to the five great prophets whom Allah mentions, Ulil uh, Azam, first, the first prophet and first man, Adam alayhi salam, and then those of the Ulil Azam, Nuh, Noah, Ibrahim, Musa and Isa, peace be upon them all. And all of them would ask to be excused and would not be able to intercede until the Prophet Muhammad interceded and he would be the first one to enter the door of paradise. Uh, then he says, as for that intercession which would be shared by others of the prophets and the angels, it is the intercession for the Ahl Al-Kabair, the people who committed major sins from amongst the Ahlu Al-Tawheed. Yani the people who committed major sins from amongst the people who believed in the oneness of Allah or the uniqueness of Allah and worshipped Allah alone. But they committed major sins. This intercession would be shared by the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam with others, including the Prophets and the angels, the righteous and the martyrs. They would intercede for people to come out of the fire after they had entered it and had been burned up and turned into coal uh, because they had been in the fire for a long time. Perhaps they may have been in the fire even for thousands of years or something like that. And then they will be thrown into a river. It is 
the Nahr al-Hayat or the river of life and then they would uh, burst forth or come forth they would grow forth new just as a seed grows up from the earth after that they would enjoy the blessings of paradise just like the rest of the people of paradise because they are of the people of At-Tawheed and they are the people of Al-Aqidah this is in brief related to the point of Al-Shifa'a and again the Shifa'a is a lengthy topic that could possibly in the future be discussed in more detail as an independent lecture but for now inshallah we will suffice it with what we have said, we will let that be sufficient. Also, from amongst those things that we are required to believe in, Al-Imam Ahmed, Rahimahullah, he says, وَالْإِمَانُ أَنَّ الْمَصِيحَ الدَّجَّالِ خَالِجٌ مَكْتُوبٌ بَيْنَ عَيْنَيْهِ كَافِرٌ وَالْأَحَدِيثَ الَّتِي جَاءَتْ فِيهِ وَالْإِمَانُ بِأَنَّ ذَلِكَ كَائِنٌ وَأَنَّ عِيْسَى ابن مريم عليه السلام ينزل فيقتله بباب لد We must have faith that the Masih al-Dajjal the false Christ or the Antichrist the great liar is to come or emerge and they will be written between his eyes Kafir or the letters Kafir K-F-R and to have faith in the ahadith which have come to us regarding him and to have faith that all of these things will actually happen and to have faith that Isa ibn Maryam السلام, that is Jesus the son of Mary will descend from the heavens where he had been raised up from this world and he is still living and he would descend as a living human being, he would come back to this earth and he would kill him. That is, he would kill Al-Masih al-Dajjal at the gate or at the door of Lud. And according to a hadith in the Sunan of Al-Tirmidhi, the Prophet said, يَقْتُلُوا إِبْنُ مَرْيَمْ al-Dajjal بِبَابِ Lud." That Isa ibn Maryam, he would kill al-Dajjal or the Antichrist at the place called Babi Lud. And it is said that today Lud is an airport town in the land of Palestine, approximately two miles from Ar-Ramla. And some of the scholars, like Sheikh Al-Manawi in his book, Sayyid Al-Qadir, the explanation of Jami Al-Saghir, he said there is a mountain in Sham or Palestine. And some said that it is a village. In any case, it appears that it is definitely a place in Palestine and there are some hadith which are more specific about this matter. Also, the fact that the hadith regarding the descent or the coming down of Isa السلام, at the end of time, as it is one of the major signs of the last days or the day of judgment, just before the judgment would take place, this, uh, these hadith reach the level of mutawatir that means that there are so many narrations authentic narrations concerning this incident uh, that there is no doubt about its truthfulness and it cannot be denied questioned or doubted 
in the hadith of Al-Bukhari and Muslim from Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu and others it has been attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the saying مَا بَعَثَ اللَّهِ مِن نَبِيٍ إِلَّا أَنْذَرَ قَوْمَهُ الْأَعْوَرِ الْكَذَّابِ إِنَّهُ أَعْوَرِ وَإِنَّ رَبَّكُمْ لَيْسَ بِأَعْوَرِ مَتُوبٌ بَيْنَ عَيْنَيْهِ كَافِرٌ Also the hadith concerning this are mutawatir. There are many, so many, which make us to know that there is no question or doubt about it. The Prophet ﷺ said that Allah has not sent any prophet since the beginning of time, he has not sent any prophet except that that prophet warned his people of the one-eyed one, al-a'war, al-kazzab, the liar, meaning al-masih al-dajjal, the antichrist. The prophet ﷺ described him, he said, innahu a'war, he is one-eyed. Wa inna rabbakum laysa bi'a'war, and your Lord, that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is not a'war, he is not one-eyed. And this is a reference to the fact that Al-Masih al-Dajjal, when he, came, when he emerged and came amongst the people, he would actually finally claim to be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask the people to worship him. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is making us to know that that one-eyed one, know that he cannot be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Verily, inna rabbakum laysa bi'a'wa. Your Lord is not one-eyed. And also another sign that those who believe and those who listened to the guidance and the warnings of the prophets and specifically the detailed warnings of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the last of the messengers of Allah he said maktubun bayna aynayhi kafir that it would be written between his eyes on his forehead the word kafir and all of the believers those who are literate or illiterate those who are Arab or non-Arab at that time would be able to read every believer would be able to read these words and they would know that would be the sign to the believers that his claims even if they appear to be true because of the miraculous things that he would do, his claims are false when he claims to be the Lord of the world and asks the people to worship him. It has also been reported in the hadith of Sahih Muslim on the authority of Nawaz ibn Sam'an, which he referred or attributed hearing it from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, غير الدجال أخوفني عليكم إن يخرج وأنا فيكم فأنا حجيجه دونكم وإن يخرج ولست فيكم فمرؤ حجيج نفسه والله خليفتي على كل مسلم that other than the يعني I have been more fearful for you or I am more afraid for you for my people, for the Muslims, by other things, other than at the jail. Not only this, but other than that. But in any case, if he appeared, if he emerged at the time when I am with you, then I will be as your protector, the one between you and him. I will protect you. But if he emerged or appeared when I am not with you, after I am not here, then every person, he would protect himself. And Allah is the one who would come after me. He would be the one who would take my place as your protector. If I am here, I will protect you. But if I am not here, then Allah, he would be the protector for every Muslim. Whoever believes in Allah and they have faith in Allah, then for sure 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able to protect him from Al-Masih al-Dajjal, the false Christ. Sheikh Abdullah ibn Jibreen, in his explanation of this point, he says that this matter, the coming of the Antichrist, the emergence of Antichrist, and the descent of Isa salam, it is of those things, Al-Iman bil-Ghayb, those things that consist of having faith in something that's unseen, which the Prophet ﷺ has informed us about. It is of those things of the unseen of the future. Yani something that's going to happen in the future. And it is a necessity that we believe in it and attest to it. Because it has been affirmed or confirmed and established in the sunnah, in the words or the speech of the Prophet ﷺ in so many authentic hadith, which are also reported through numerous chains of narratives, mutawatira. The Prophet ﷺ had informed us of many things of the future, of the matters of unseen. And of those things is the emergence of al-Masih al-Dajjal and the descent of Isa ibn Maryam salam. As for al-Dajjal, the Antichrist or the false Christ, the great liar, the Prophet ﷺ described him in a way that that description makes it clear without doubt that he is a human being. He is a human being. Although... Some people in this day and time have written books trying to claim or explain that a Dajjal is something other than a human being. And we have heard some of these theories, but if we read carefully the words of the Prophet ﷺ, these are my words now, if we read the, the hadith we will see for sure that the description of a Dajjal is the description of a human being, even to the fact that there are some authentic hadith in which it's reported in the time of the Prophet ﷺ that some of the companions stopped a person and asked the Prophet ﷺ if he, if that boy, Ibn, Ibn, Musayyib, uh, Ibn Sayyid, Sayyid, if he was uh, a Dajjal. And the Prophet ﷺ finally told them that he was not Dajjal, which makes us to know for sure that they were expecting a human being and the Prophet ﷺ didn't tell them, no, don't think that he could be Dajjal because Dajjal is not a human being. But he told them, no, he is not the one. So that makes us to know for sure that if the Jal is a human being, that he would be one-eyed, his right eye would be covered with some skin or flesh, and that he would be a trial for all of the creation, for all human beings. Many people would be tried by him, and Allah would make firm those who are on the truth, who believe firmly in Allah and follow the guidance of the Prophet wasallam at the time when the, of the emergence of the Jal. They would know, the believers would know that he is the liar. And for this reason, because he was a great liar, he is called the Jal. That means that he lied much and that he was a great deceiver. And also the Prophet ﷺ in many dua he asked as he asked us to seek refuge from the punishment of the grave, he also asked us to seek uh, he used to seek refuge from the fitna of a Dajjal and he told the believers also as recorded in many authentic hadith, to seek refuge from the fitna of ad dajjal This is a great fitna. It is something that all of the prophets, from the first of them to the last, mentioned to their peoples and warned them about it. And when it comes, it will certainly be a trial. We should pray to Allah to help us and to protect us, uh, to give us refuge from this 
fitna or this test or this trial when it came. As for the hadith related to the descent of Isa, there are also many, many authentic reports. And they informed us that he would kill at the jail at Bab Lud in Asham, that is in Syria, or those countries now surrounding that area. In the old days, it was known as Asham, Syria and Palestine and so on. And that Isa, uh, Jesus, peace be upon him, he would, after killing at Dajjal, he would stay amongst the Muslims for some time. He would break the cross, the salib, that is worshipped by the Christians today. Isa ibn Maryam, السلام, who they claimed was killed on the cross, and they worshipped that cross because of it, he would come and destroy the cross to show the falsehood of it. And he would also kill the swine, which some of their leaders claimed it became lawful. After it had been prohibited by the previous prophet, they claimed that it became lawful by Jesus, peace be upon him. Then he would also deny this and kill the swine. And also, he would stop the payment or collection of jizya. It used to be up until his time that the people of the book, the Christians and Jews, if they were under the rule of the Muslims and under the protection of the Islamic State, they would pay a tax. Instead of paying the zakat, the tax of the Muslims, they would pay a tax because they were not Muslims, a different tax for the protection and support that they received from the Muslim State. But in the time of Isa when he came, peace be upon him, he would stop the collection of this jizya. It would not be accepted, nothing would be accepted except that the people entered Islam or they would be killed. Islam would then spread at that time as Allah willed. And this is something that will happen at a future time and Allah knows best when it will happen. There is still much to be said and so many hadith, but in any case, I think, inshallah, on these matters of al-Masihid Dajjal and the descent of Isa, we can also refer to the books of hadith to read in more detail about these things in the Sahih of Bukhari about al-Masihid Dajjal, volume 4, page 432, Sahih Muslim. And the Sahih of al-Bukhari, volume 4, page 436, Sahih Muslim, volume 1, page 92, the Sunan of Abu Dawood, uh, page 1203. There are so many hadith about these things, there's no time to read them now. We are just trying, in this, يعني, passing over these topics, we are just trying to present some idea about these very important issues. At least we should be aware of them, and we should be aware of what is mentioned in the Quran and in the Sunnah and the sayings of the Sahaba and the early generations of the Muslims. So that we will believe in these things and not be of those who denied them because they were unaware of them. So we are just trying to present some awareness of these issues quickly. And we hope, inshallah, that uh, everyone should try to do some research and follow up in these matters and do some reading about them in more detail. And perhaps in the future, inshallah, some of these topics that we are covering can be dealt with separately and in detail. Finally, Imam Ahmed uh, in our closing point, he says, 
that of those things we are required to believe in wal imanu qawlun wa amalun yazidu wa yanqus kama jaa fil athari aqmalu al mu'minina imanan ahsanuhum khuluqan and that faith consists of both speech and actions it is comprised of both words and deeds al iman faith is not just something in the heart i believe no it is comprised also of words and deeds speech and action it increases and decreases it is not something that's constant but it increases at times and it decreases at times as has been reported in the narration of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the most complete of the believers with respect to faith is the best of them in his manners or the most perfect of the believers in iman is the best of them in character and that hadith is reported in the sunan of abu daud it is authentic so that we understand from this that iman also includes character manners our actions and also the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam wa man taraka as-salat faqad kafar or in this meaning that whoever abandons salat has disbelieved is also reported in the sunan of abu daud and the hadith is sahih ah uh, the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the actual wording of the hadith al ahd alladhi baynana wa baynahum as salat faman taraqaha faqad kafar that is the agreement or the covenant or that which is between us and them is as salat yani it is the distinction between those who believe and those who not it is the salat so whoever abandoned it whoever left it off gave it up faqad kafar then he has definitely this believed and also al-imam ahmed said after saying wa man taraka as-salat faqad kafar wa laysa min al-a'mal shay'un tarkuhu kufrun illa as-salat man tarakaha fahuwa kafir wa qad ahalla Allah qatlahu whoever abandons the prayer then he has disbelieved there's nothing from among the actions there's no action which if it is abandoned constitutes disbelief or kufr except the action of salat whoever abandoned it, it constitutes kufr whoever abandoned it is a disbeliever and allah has made killing him permissible al imam al lalakai in his book sharh usul al i'tiqad ahl sunnah He says that Abdul Razak Al-Sanaani, one of the great scholars of hadith from Yemen, said, I met 62 sheikhs. I met 62 scholars. And amongst them, he mentioned so many names, Ma'amar Al-Awza'i, Al-Thawri, Al-Walid Ibn Muhammad Al-Qurayshi, Yazid Ibn Al-Sa'atib, Hamam Ibn Salama, Ahmad ibn Zaid, Sufyan ibn Uyayna, Waqi' ibn Jarrah, Malik ibn Anas, and so on. He mentioned so many of them. He said all of them were saying that iman consists of speech and action. That al-iman, it is qawlun wa amalun. Yazid wa yanqus. It increases and decreases. This is reported in Abu Dawud, At-Tirmidhi, Ahmed, and others. And its chain of narration is authentic. some of the evidences from Quran and Sunnah in brief about this point is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah al-fath verse 4 li yazid 
لِيَزْدَادُوا إِمَانًا مَا إِمَانِهِمْ يعني that they might be increased, that their iman might be increased with their iman. يعني the iman that they had, they would be increased on top of it. وَمَا زَادَهُمْ إِلَّا إِمَانًا وَتَسْلِيمًا And this, that this didn't increase them except in iman and taslim in submission. يعني they increased in the iman and their submission in Surah Al-Ahzab verse 22. And also in Surah Al-Ali Imran verse 173. فَزَادَهُمْ إِمَانًا وَقَالُوا حَسْبُنَ اللَّهُ وَنِعْمَ الْوَكِيلُ and they uh, were increased in Iman and they said Allah is sufficient for us and He is the best of protectors. In the hadith which is reported in Al-Bukhari and Muslim from Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, and that hadith, uh, he said, Al-Iman bid'un wa sittuna shu'ba wal-hayau shu'ba min al-Iman. That Iman has so many divisions or aspects uh, there are 60 some odd divisions or aspects of Al-Iman and one of them, one of these shu'aba or these divisions of Al-Iman is Al-Haya yani shyness or modesty this shows that Iman is not only some uh, uh, something that is conviction in the heart but it is manifested in the actions of the person Al-Haya as in another hadith the Prophet said Al-Haya min Al-Iman that this modesty or shyness, it is part of Iman. And also, Imam al-Bukhari, he entitled one of the chapters in his book, Bab Ziyadatul Iman wa Nuqsanuhu. Yani the increase of Iman and its decrease. That Iman increases and decreases. And then he narrated so many hadith. Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani, in his book, Fatul Bari, the explanation of Bukhari, mentions the report or the narration or the saying of Ibn Mas'ud, that is Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu anhumah, رضي الله عنه he said اللهم زدنا إيمانا ويقينا وفقها oh Allah increase us in iman faith as well as yaqeen certainty and fiqh understanding that means that this great companion of the Prophet he was known for his understanding of the deen and he asked Allah in his dua oh Allah increase us in iman which shows that iman does in fact increase and when it was said to Ibn Uyayna that is Sufyan Ibn Uyayna Al-Iman Yazid wa Yanqus, they asked him, does Iman increase and decrease? He said, didn't you read the Qur'an, فَزَادَهُمْ إِمَانًا Then Allah said that they were increased in their Iman. In so many places, in more than one place this is mentioned. Then they said to him, Yanqus, does it also decrease? He said, لَيْسَ شَيْءٌ يَزِيدٌ إِلَّا وَهُوَ يَنْقُسٌ There is nothing that increases except that it also has the potential to decrease. And uh, about the Salat, the statement of Abdullah ibn Shaqiq, rahimahullah, he mentioned that it was something that was consensus or unanimous agreement, ijma'ah. He said, كَانَ أَصْحَابُ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ لَا يَرَوْنَ شَيْئًا فَرَقُهُ كُفْرٌ غَيْرُ الصَّلَاةِ That the companions of Muhammad صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ they didn't see anything or hold the opinion that there was anything which if it is left, it is disbelief other than a salat They were in agreement on this, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. And that's easy to understand since the Prophet ﷺ himself said, فَمَنْ تَرَكَهَا فَقَدْ كَفَرْ Whoever left it, then he disbelieved. Also we should say here that this is an issue about the disbelief of the person who abandons prayer, who doesn't pray at all. 
it is an issue about which there's some difference of opinion amongst the scholars. Uh, so as for those who uh, left it and denying that it is an obligation, then I think it is agreed that that person is a disbeliever. Whoever says we don't have to pray, there's no need to pray, there's no obligation to pray. We don't believe in prayer. But as for those who abandon prayer out of laziness, but believing that it is obligatory, yeah, and if they said, I know prayer is obligatory, and I know it is an obligation on us, but I'm just weak, then the scholars differed about this one. Some said that it is disbelief, and some said that it is not disbelief, or that it is minor disbelief. In any case, on this point, there is some difference of opinion, but the hadith of the Prophet wasallam is sufficient for us to be warned and to be frightened from such a thing, when he said that whoever leaves it, that he has disbelieved, that's enough for us, whether it's major disbelief or minor disbelief, I think that no one would like that it be said about them such a thing. In closing, the Shaykh Abdullah ibn Jibreen, uh, he says on, these, on this final point of the Iman and the abandonment of Salat, uh, he said that this issue is one of the issues that the scholars have dis- differed about, the issue of whether or not Iman also includes speech and actions. There was some group called the Murji'ah. They didn't accept that Iman included actions and speech. But they said it is only a conviction in the heart. Anyone who believes, then that's sufficient, even if they don't say it and even if they do no good deeds, that all people are the same in Iman. Whoever has it in his heart, then he's equal with everyone else. And there's no difference based on actions or speech. But the Ahl Sunnah was Jama'ah. They said that Iman is speech and actions. And this includes the Aqaid or the beliefs as well as the speech, the sayings, as well as the actions of the heart, of the tongue, and of the limbs of the body. And the proof of this is the hadith that we already mentioned, that Iman is 70 uh, in one narration, 70 in another narration, 60 in this one. He said 70, some odd branches, the highest of them is the saying of La ilaha illallah. This shows us what? That Iman includes speech. The highest of those branches of Iman, the highest of them, أَعَلَاهَا قَوْلُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَدْنَاهَا أَمَاطَقَ الْأَذَى عَنَ الطَّرِيقِ And the lowest of them is removing something harmful from the road. وَالْحَيَاءَ شُعْبَ مِنَ الْإِيمَانِ And also shyness or modesty is a branch of Iman. So this shows us that both speech as well as the action of removing something from the road as well as shyness or uh, modesty, that all of this are parts of Iman. So we cannot deny that Iman is more than conviction. It is also speech and actions. It increases with uh, obedience to Allah and it de- de- decreases with disobedience to Allah. And of those deeds which, by which a person's Iman increases, of the greatest of them is as salat It is part of Iman. And Allah said in the Quran, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُضِعُوا إِمَانَكُمْ That Allah would not uh, cause your iman to be lost. He called this iman referring to a salat. He said that Allah would not cause your iman to be lost, meaning your salat would not be يعني, uh, without any benefit. That was uh, the Muslims who used to pray to Bayt al-Maqdis to Jerusalem before the Qibla was changed to Mecca. Those who prayed and died before the Qibla was changed, some of the Muslims said, what about those people who pray to the wrong Qibla? And then Allah revealed this ayah saying that their salat would not be a loss, even though they were praying to a previous qibla, uh, it would not be lost. But he called it in that ayah in the Quran, he said that your iman would not be lost. So this is a proof that a salat from the Quran it is a proof that salat is a part of iman.
And also, there's so much in the Sunnah to show us the importance of Salat and the punishment for those who abandon the Salat and so on. And that whoever left it, it is kufr, that is, whoever yani, continued to leave the Salat without performing Salat at all, they didn't miss it on some occasion or for some reason, but they didn't make Salat at all, they were those who didn't perform Salat, then that person should be requested to repent. And if they repented, then they are accepted in the fold of Islam. And if not, if they refuse to repent and they continue not to pray, then they should be killed. And this is the opinion of some of the Imams, and there is difference of opinion about it. Some said they should be imprisoned until they repent or they perform the Salat or return to the Salat. So this is of the greatest aspects of Islam, and it is not something that we should take lightly. Let us be serious about uh, the fact that our actions are part of our Iman, and especially those great actions such as Salat and etc. May Allah accept from us our actions and our speech, remembrance of Him, etc., reading of Qur'an, as well as our strong faith in our heart. May Allah make us strong in faith and make us to manifest the faith that is in our heart, in our actions. May Allah grant us understanding, forgive us our sins, and grant us His paradise. Seek refuge in Allah as the Prophet ﷺ commanded us from the punishment of the grave and the fitna of Ad-Dajjal and ask Allah for his tawfiq. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. There's uh, some questions here we'll try to uh, answer as best we can Regarding number 8 on the intercession of the prophets How about the people who believe in one God And worship one God And have heard about Islam But never took their shahada Or took Islam And the prophet Muhammad As their path Do these people fall into this category Uh, If someone if there are some people who believe in one God, they believe in one God, and they worship Him alone, as the question states here, and they have heard about Islam, but never took their shahada. That means they heard about Islam and they believed in it, 
But for some reason, nobody told them that they have to take the shahada. Or somebody told them and they planned to do it, but they didn't do it. I don't know exactly what can be the situation. But uh, they didn't take shahada and they didn't take Islam and the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu as their path. Allah, this is a very difficult question. If somebody believes in one God and they worship Him alone and they heard about Islam, did they believe in it? And did they believe in Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi Or they heard about it and they didn't believe in it? If they heard about it and they didn't believe in it, then Allah said that no people would enter paradise or He would not accept any religion other than Islam. Inna deen indallahi islam That the religion was with Allah's Islam. Uh, so that means that if they heard about Islam, but they didn't accept it, then that means they rejected Allah, and they rejected the message that He sent, and the messenger who He sent, that means that they are disbelievers. But if they heard about Islam and they believed in it, and they believed in Prophet Muhammad, but for some reason they didn't take shahada, then that's another matter, and Allah knows best about their case. The one who heard about it and believed in it. As for the one who heard about it and disbelieved in it, and didn't reject it, the statement, of, the, of, 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 of saying La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah yani They didn't accept Muhammad sallam, as a prophet Nor his way of life Al-Islam They didn't accept it as their way of life They rejected it Then that person is a disbeliever But if they heard about it And they believed in it And they accepted it But for some reason they didn't take shahara Allah knows best about them I don't know What was the great sin of Prophet Muhammad sallam, Uncle Did he die a disbeliever Naam The great sin of the, the uncle of Prophet Muhammad Abu Talib, his sin was kufr, that he died as a disbeliever. When the Prophet came to him in his deathbed, deathbed and asked him and begged him to testify, to say, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, so that he would be able to stand before Allah for him, then the pagan leaders of the Quraysh also uh, begged him not to change his religion of his ancestors, and he died on that religion of his ancestors, on paganism or kufr. So he died as a disbeliever, and therefore, um, like all disbelievers, he cannot uh, be saved from the hellfire. But the most that Allah has allowed to the Prophet ﷺ is a special favor of that, that his punishment in the hellfire will be reduced. Will the Dajjal be on earth a long time before Isa will descend and kill him? The Hadith explained this in detail. I can just say briefly that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in one Hadith that Dajjal will be on the earth for 40 days. For 40 days. And, the, and one of those days would be like a year. Would be equal to a year of our time. And one of those days would be equal to a month. And one of those days would be equal to a week. And the rest of them would be ordinary days. So that means his time on the earth would be one year, one month, one week, and 37 days. Uh, some of the companions asked, what about our salat? What should we do? Shall we pray one prayer? in the day, or shall we pray just five prayers in the day, in which is like one year, or what? He said, you should estimate it. That means you should pray, yani, in that day, though it will be the length of one year, you will have to pray the prayers that are equal to the prayers of one year. Uh, what is the gate of Lud, and what is its significance? It is just the name of a place, Bab Lud. It is a place in uh, Palestine, uh, as some of the scholars said, very near to Ramla, and it is, uh, that's the name of the place. Bab Lud, yani. Its significance is that uh, it is the place that Isa um, uh, salam he would catch up with at Dajjal. After pursuing him, he would catch him at that place and kill him. How should we as Muslims re- revert feel about our families who do not wish to embrace Islam? Should we continue to counsel them on Islam and the Day of Judgment? Our families who did not 
uh, who until now did not decide to embrace Islam or even who may be against Islam or who may treat us harshly, uh, in any case still we should try with our families, especially more so than other people. Every Muslim is required to give da'wah and try to call the people to Islam. Our families have more right than other people that we should try to call them to Islam. We should continue to talk to them and especially we should continue to be nice to them and to treat them kindly, to show them the greatness of Islam and the virtues of Islam and pray for them and pray for them, not only talk to them, but show them the goodness of Islam and pray for them as Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu prayed for his mother when she was against Islam and said harsh words against Islam and against the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It hurt him so bad he went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam asking to pray for his mother and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam prayed for his mother. The prayer of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was accepted. When he returned to the house, his mother told him to wait at the door while she was taking a ghusl or a shower and then when he entered she closed herself and embraced Islam. So we should uh, try in every way to speak to them, to explain to them, and to show them by our actions more than anything else the greatness of Islam and the virtues of Islam. And we should pray to Allah and know that Allah accepts our supplications. If it is His will, then they will be guided to Islam. And that is based on whether or not that person has in their heart a desire for the truth. And we shouldn't give up on anyone. As long as they are living, it's possible that they may embrace Islam. We should not give up hope, but we should try until the end. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik.